Welcome to week 13 of college football. Hoo-hoo hail here with your lovely and about to lose co-host, Kathy Chong. Jeff has been talking smack all week. I think he's getting ahead of himself. Indiana looks pretty good. I mean, before we do the smack talk portion, I wanted to check in with you. I mean, it's been... 13, 14 weeks of this project, of this podcast, and we spent some time uh, working on this. And I think this is the week that we've been, who the hell rivalry week, where, where both sides of the podcast uh, collide. And just a good time to do a check-in to see how you're feeling about this project and how you're feeling about Indiana football, about the podcast, anything that's on your mind. Jeff, I am so invested. You and I had talked a couple of weeks about how each of our schools actually kind of represent us and where we are in life. So for instance, for me, I always feel like I've kind of been the underdog. I haven't really had what I call a big signature win. I mean, obviously I'm very fortunate. Good things have happened, but I never really had the confidence to say, you know, I'm a key player. I'm, you know, ranked, I, you know, am doing well, people respect me. And I've always felt like that. So this Indiana- Is it too mean to say that your life has been a string of five and sevens? <laughs> um, it's not, I mean, it's rude, absolutely rude, but it's not untrue. So I think that's really funny. And I mean, like, I- it's as bad as uh, Brett McMurphy saying that, you know, what is it, October 2nd, October 3rd is Jim Harbaugh Day. So, mm-hmm. so my life has been, you know, a series of 10 and threes. I mean, I think that's I, true. it's the same I mean, joke, right? You've had a pretty good life, Jeff. So I think that's accurate. So the five and sevens one is, oh, I mean, but, but I mean, get back to what you're saying about how we discovered that, you know, the program is your spirit animal and you are the program's spirit animal too. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I'm so invested. For instance, every unfair call that a ref makes, I take really personally because I feel like they are, you know, not treating me right. So during Penn State's game, which we'll get into later, after that game, I I couldn't get out of bed for two hours. I just took that loss so personally. I knew that we had fought so hard. We had played well, but there were just a series of mistakes, a series of unfair calls where Indiana had this game in the bag and it just didn't happen. And I, I just feel like, you know, I, I can't even watch Indiana games with you anymore. You're you're just so wound up, like that edge of the seat. Yeah. You know, every play call that goes against you, every sort of offensive play call that doesn't work out, you're just so, like, I don't know, you're a wild person. It's, it's hard to watch an Indiana game with you. I mean, I thought that I was a brooder when it comes to Michigan games. You know how I like to watch it alone. I like to, you know, mm-hmm. think about the X's and O's, think about the plays. But you're just... Yeah, I mean, you're like even more impossible, it seems like. This is kind of gross. You weren't with me, Jeff, but during the Penn State game, especially during the first half, I kind of had a sinking feeling during the second half. But during the first half, when we were close, I couldn't even sit. I was sitting, standing two feet away from the television, pacing back and forth, and I legitimately had cold sweats. Yeah, I was just about to say. You were probably sweating bullets, right? <laughs> I was. I had cold sweats, and I kept yelling every time. When Pamsey had the first two touchdown drives, I was yelling, and then I knew, like, okay. Were you like, actually like yelling out loud to your TV? Like, you're you're one of those people now. Well, I'm not like a come on, that's bullshit. I'm not one of those yellers, but I'm a cheerer. 
when things go well. Like I clap, I scream. And so when we had the first two touchdowns, I definitely questioned whether there would be a noise complaint coming from the neighbors. Okay. And um, will you tell us about your new Twitter account at Kathy and uh, how your experience has been on Twitter so far? Uh, I mean, tell us about your hater. Tell us about Scott Frost, Nebraska, everything Twitter. Tell us about Solid Verbal, Dunkin' Donuts, how to write a good tweet. Just the, give us the encyclopedia on Hugh Kathy, the handle. So much to say about Twitter. So I did, long story short, I had a Twitter that I made several years ago, but I never used it. And so I wanted to make a Twitter to actually converse and not just consume when it came to sports. And so I made a handle. It's at I think Hugh that's a really Kathy. pretty way to talk about it, converse, consume. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hoo-hoo, H-O-O-H-O-O, Kathy, K-A-T-H-I-E. And so, yeah, I've been in this for a few weeks now. I think I might have maybe 28 followers or so, all organically gotten. So I'm pretty proud of myself. But, but Jeff's right, my first experience. So the day I make it, it was during the Purdue-Nebraska game. So this was a couple weeks ago. Uh, Purdue was trailing by a few points. And I sent out a tweet. This is my very first tweet. And it said, I, I would never do this, but I'm actually going to root for Purdue today. Because and the Scott funny Frost thing about that is one. that you you would message me things about mm-hmm. the games that you were watching. And I was like, don't text me, text the world, <laughs> like right on Twitter, right? So, so that's why that first tweet, I was like, just go out there and tell, tell the world what you're thinking. Don't tell me. I'm your co-host. So I get you all the time. Yeah, that's true. I would text Jeff things all the time during games, but now I realize I'm just going to text the world. So I did that and I get a notification that someone had responded to my tweet and I opened it and I'm excited because I'm like, oh, someone's already engaging with me. This is awesome. And I see the big letters F and U. (laughs) And I take a look and of course it is a Nebraska fan. I didn't help you out though. I said, I commented, I said, Huskers fans, real classy. And it appears that that person has also since deleted their tweet. Yes, I think that's true. And Jeff, I I think I texted you right away and I said, wow, Twitter is mean. Like no one's ever said that. Um, So it's pretty funny. But you have a pretty thick skin now. Like, you know, you're ready for the podcast hate mail. Yeah, 5'7", no more. Tough and thick skinned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, you're you're just treating like your life is a metaphor for Indiana football, and Indiana football is a metaphor for your life. Yeah. Yep. So invested. But but yeah. And I think the flip side is from true for me too. Like Michigan's a sort of fading glory, trying to recapture the luster of the past, living in the past type alignment program. And uh, I, I definitely think that that's sort of a uh, a, a metaphor that's applicable for myself as well. So I think the moment we discovered that your spirit animal and also the element where the year that you choose to do a podcast about your program yeah. is the best year that since, I don't know, I mean, would it be a stretch to say if you beat Michigan that it's the best year since you were born? That would be so poetic, right? Because 1987 was a great year and you guys beat Michigan that was the last time that'd be um, so, so if, poetic because that was the year we were born you're right yes yeah, so you were born and then indiana like basically you didn't really you weren't a fan and then the year that you were a fan they win 
right? You're, That's you're giving me even more ammunition to just hope that we beat you. I hate saying that. Every other day, I root for your team, but not this week. Yeah, I mean, well, let's get into it. I also want to um, ask you about sort of your uh, thoughts about um, make, making a podcast and all that, but maybe we can do that uh, at the end of the podcast so we can give the people what they came here for. <laughs> all right, let's just so, get into it. Yeah, so let's talk about, let's start, you know, so this is Who Who Hail Hate Week, right? I mean, it's it's all love, but uh, I think there there might be a little bit of bad blood because I think a lot of Indiana fans are trying to play a disrespect card. So they're saying, oh, we're like looking ahead to Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And uh, why don't you tell us about, I mean, a lot of Twitter people are like, you know, posting, trying to grasp at straws about how we're insulting Indiana by not sort of focusing on them and focusing on Ohio State too much. And my view on that is they, that's having dug into the articles, and I'm interested to hear what you think because I've been messaging you the articles too. But I think having dug into the articles, I think it's the opposite of that. I think we Harbaugh knows that the four games that he's played against Indiana have all been super, super close. Two overtime games, two games where the road, te- road team wins, um, and that's – and and that's just crazy, right? And so so Harbaugh has been super respectful. Um, I was telling you that he was talking about sort of a historic Tom Allen defense. He was very complimentary about Tom Allen's defense, and I think it, it's not this year. But 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 basically, tell us about this letdown look ahead sandwich concept that uh, Solid Verbal has our favorite podcast, um, and tell us about whether you think that's in fact the case after digging into the quotes from the coaches and the players. So the biggest letdown look ahead sandwich. And the reason why it's a sandwich is because Indiana sits directly in between MSU and OSU. You all crushed MSU last week. Congratulations. And big, like the idea is like big emotional rivalry victories that you're Mm -hmm. focused on. So, so you end up missing the middle. Yep. Yeah. And Indiana and here's the criticism that, and, and I'm not denying the criticism, actually, because I think it's true that we haven't won to an amazing team yet. We still have that to prove. I mean, while it's been one of our best years in a long time, we still need that signature win. And we pretty much got, we have one more chance at it just because Purdue's done. I still don't understand this. I, I got to, you know, jump in here. Like, I, I don't know. I think you're like throwing the signature win concept around a little liberally in terms of like, I mean, I, 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 I only mean this in a little bit of a condescending way, but it's like, what do you need a signature win for? Like, what is a signature win going to get you? You know what I mean? Like some programs, you have a signature win, you make the playoffs or you make, you know, what does a signature win get you? Like, it does it like shake off? This narrative where it's like, oh, you haven't been in any good teams, like you've only won against bad team. Is that what you want the signature win to do? To like shake off that rust? Because your best win is like a what is it, a seven point win against Nebraska, and you've lost to the only two games good teams that you've played. One of one of which isn't that good that we just destroyed by like thirty four points. So what what is this signature win thing, and why do you need one? No, that's exactly what it is, Jeff. I mean. The biggest criticism is that the teams we beat have not been good. And our best quote unquote win is that seven point win against Nebraska, who's not good. And then I guess losing by someone said that our biggest victory is losing by seven points to Penn State. And I feel like it's time 
it's it's kind of a moral accomplishment just to say we beat a good team. And I just, in my heart, I just feel like that's what this team needs to really take that big step forward to be ranked, you know, and to have people, I mean, I'll give an example. We've been ranked, you know, by the AP poll and the coaches poll. And we never had like a lot of um, websites and stuff forgot to put the rank number in front of our team. Like, I just feel like overall people. Oh yeah. You're going to tell the, tell the people how like the AP hadn't ranked Indiana since I think it was the longest unranked team ever. I think since 1994. Since, like, that. So they didn't have like a, a Fred Glass approved athletic department electronic logo no or so so the ranking left your logo blank yeah they left our logo blank and i think they did fix it um a few hours later because i rechecked it but when it came out they didn't have a logo for indiana and it's not just that i mean there i saw a lot on twitter people were upset because a lot of articles that were printed they never put you know number 24 indiana number 25 indiana um well, some of them go with the CFP rankings right. at this time of year. Right, but, but we weren't doing I, – I guess this time of year, fine. But, you know, I, I just think that if we had a signature win, people would see us in that caliber of, of playing um, with those teams. And Michigan's the team to do it against? I mean, you're really the only one left. Because who, who do you play to – well, oh, you play the choo-choos. And, oh, tell, tell the readers about – how the choo-choos have now inherited the longest unranked streak, right? Yes. Yeah. So Indiana had the longest unranked streak. And then because we were finally ranked by the AP poll and the coaches poll, we handed that gift over to the choo-choos. So they are now the longest. So you give them a bucket Mm -hmm. and they give you a bucket. Yeah, that's true. It's a bucket switch. Yeah. So so the look at look at sandwich, you know, and so I guess, but but oh, so my question earlier was that having dug into the very respectful quotes from the program, do you agree with the Indiana fan base that are, or at least not Michigan fans who are jerks like me, but the players and the coaches and all the things that they're saying? It seems like to me that they're hyper focused on Indiana. I, I agree. I mean, they know. I mean, I, I think Jim Harbaugh has even come out and said, you know, and you you already said this, Jeff, but basically in 2017, when when you played us in Bloomington, you won in overtime, um, 27 to 20. Um, in 2015, Michigan won in double overtime, 48 to 41. And so the past three times we played in Bloomington, um, you had a seven point victory, which isn't very much. And so the previous matchups have been really close and those were years that we weren't as good. And now that we are good, I think we can make this game super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me, uh, I think the, the quotes that I've said, I think at the two, there are two, two groups of quotes that are really interesting and we'll have to sort of break this down. Cause that's like kind of, kind of, um, and then, and of course, uh, standard disclaimer that really want Penix to be full strength so we could really see what the teams would do against each other. But obviously we don't have that opportunity, but we love Ramsey on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So we kind of who who hail on the record predicted Ramsey's gritty, you know, the, how we picked him as our podcast mascot. And it was ironic too, because we picked him as a mascot at the same time as coach Allen announcing yep. Penix as a starter, mm-hmm. literally at the same moment. And so you were telling me, 
do we need to erase the headset and re-record? <laughs> and it's actually great that on the record, on the first episode, we picked him because he like is the gritty person that led you to this, you know, uh, what is it? Seven and two? Are you, you're, you're seven and two? Right now? Yes. Oh, actually now we're okay, seven yeah. and three. So Seven, oh, seven and, oh, yeah, yeah, after Penn State, so seven and three. Unfortunately, uh, I mean, two of those were real close, right? MSU mm-hmm. and Penn State. Um, but so, but so, yeah, so, so I think we can talk about sort of, we, you know, we can talk about both sides of the ball. And I think one interesting way to frame that, and let's just talk about, let's talk about Indiana's offense and Indiana's defense. And so I think Indiana's defense, um, and let's, I'll, I'll sort of read Coach Harbaugh's, well, I guess paraphrase Coach Harbaugh's comments on Indiana's defense. And you can tell me, since you are a more index observer of the program, uh, you can tell me what you think about that. But so it, my gut was like um, Coach Harbaugh and, 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 you know, Coach Harbaugh now has Don Brown, but he, he thinks about defenses in the way that a quarterback would. And he's like, Tom Allen has essentially built this program on his defense, um, has good linebacker play, solid schemes. You know, they don't get tricked that much by offenses. They have good coverage. And I was like, we, you had told me how, you know, you sent me this, we read this article about how Tom Allen hired Womack, yep. his defensive coordinator, and it was because he was staying up all night after being promoted from defensive coordinator to coach he still had coordinator duties. And so he was staying up all night trying to build the defense on top of his duties as head coach recruiting, CEO of the program, all that. And so it's, I was joking with you today. I was saying, it sounds to me like coach Harbaugh is describing an Indiana defense of Tom Allen, you know, during the Kevin Wilson chaos team, Indiana days and the crazy overtimes. But it's almost like Tom Allen having handed over the reins to Walmart. I was joking with you saying he probably needs to stay up all night and come up with a scheme against Michigan because your defense this year. So, so tell, tell us about that side of the ball and what you've noticed like against Penn state, um, you know, in the games that we've watched. Yeah. The, the defense has been just okay. I mean, I haven't noticed any glaring errors, I would say on that side of the ball, but there there's been so many times where the, they've just made the other team like the offense look easy. And so I actually haven't been super impressed with the defense. I think we forced some good turnovers, but the solid verbal said this week that, you know, turnovers sometimes are a matter of luck. And so I'm not sure what that really says. And the fact that you all have this speed and space that actually seems to be working now um, I'm actually quite concerned about the defense this week and how we'll be against your newfound speed and space. Yeah, so one of the interesting things about speed and space, and I've been watching the play calls against MSU, I think the biggest philosophical difference between the Harbaugh offense and the speed and space, which is why we saw a lot of transition costs, is that Harbaugh, as an old-school pro-style, what he does is he always is, tries to establish the run no matter what. Mm-hmm. So you run the ball up the middle, keep running. And then when people start stacking the box against the run, it opens up the passing lanes. So you, no matter what, like he'll run it up the middle, run, run, run. Cause he thinks, you know, 
running, you have a bit more control. You burn up the clock, you control the pace of the game, possessions, you know, and if you have some big OL that can open up lines for dynamic running backs to run through gaps, um, then that's a good thing, right? So that's the pro style power O offense. And we saw that the past couple of years, right? And yeah, do you, you know, it's kind of not that exciting. Like it's like when it's like watching Iowa's offense, right? Yeah. So when we when we watched the Iowa Michigan game, it was literally like that Spider-Man meme where like you're pointing at me, I'm pointing at you, and I told you, I said on this podcast that I was personally humiliated mm-hmm. by watching that, right? The biggest difference with how I saw MSU and I think one of the I think it's Orion or Austin, one of the uh, Michigan beat writers either for the Freep or for the Athletic, he said that Michigan really tested MSU both vertically and horizontally, right? So you force the defense to cover the field. So you do jet sweeps, you spread, you know, uh, left to right, and then you throw deep passes. And so then instead of, I think instead of like, you know, starting from the box, starting from power run, you kind of play the corners of the field, the sides, and then it opens up the run too, which we didn't really have to run against MSU. And so that's the speed and space. Like some of the plays horizontally and vertically look really good. And um, and so that might be a challenge. I don't know how much of the game uh, you were able to watch, but that speed and space looked great. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. And Jeff, you and I talked about this, about how you guys tested MSU's defense horizontally and vertically, as you just mentioned. And I'll be completely honest. I only did half my job. I did not really watch this game. I was keeping tabs on the score, but since Indiana was playing Penn State at the same time, I, as I told you, I was two feet from the TV. Oh yeah. Sweats. Yeah, yeah. It was a split beat. But so the one, the one very interesting thing that I learned today, and and that will do it for the you know Michigan offense versus Indiana defense, unless you have the last word, um, is. Gaddis's philosophy is he, and, and this is kind of relevant for me as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer too. Gaddis says that he wants the offense to hold the pen last. And that's his philosophy on offense. So he's a young coach. He's talks a lot like me, like he's rapid fire, but his offensive philosophy is hold the pen last. And what that means is every single play, and this is, also why I like football, because I think it's a game of chess, right? You show something, the other side has to counter it, you counter the counter, and then you break tendency and do something that's different from you did. It's like X's and O's, rock, paper, scissors, chess game. What Gaddis means by holding the pen last is he wants the offense to have enough like wrinkles and alternate like drop-down options that at Till the very end, he wants the defense to commit to stopping something before the offense can break out another variation that breaks that defensive commitment. So, like, you toss the ball and then to the side, and then can it be a pass? Can it be a run? Are we running around? Are we running through? And you'll see at the edge, the last defender will commit. Is he blocking the middle or the edge? And then the offense has one more person or one more option that can break that last defensive decision. So that's what he means by holding the pen last. And so earlier on in the season, a lot of the plays were like, you know, he, they, they, because 
it's so complicated. It's like a drop-down decision tree. If it doesn't click and your options are foreclosed, then the defense wins, right? But now that it's clicking against MSU, we force them to commit, and they commit a lot to the run, to protecting the run. But, I mean, that last touchdown, 44-10, Cornelius got the pass, and people were saying, oh, Michigan's running up the score from 37 to 44. We weren't really running up the score. It was an RPO, run-pass option. And um, Shea, the MSU sold out against the run because they thought that we would just run to burn clock to end the game. And so our freshman receiver was wide open on the RPO, and that was really the only option for yeah. Shea. So Shea just passed it, and then all the way through. So I think holding the pad, that's a very interesting thing that I learned today. And so we'll see whether Walmart can, you know, can hold the pen last, I guess. Oh, yeah, I'll be honest. I'm a little nervous on that side of the ball, especially Shay looking the way he did. Um, I've heard on last Saturday, it's going to be really interesting. So when I was texting you insults <laughs> from the game, I said, because the craziest moment, so talking about, you know, MSU's offense, the craziest moment of all Michigan games that I've watched was Levert Hill. He intercepts Brian Lewerke. And, you know, when you, it's weird because, like, the moment that you have an interception, now the receiver is playing a defender, right? Because now the cornerback has yep. the ball and then the receiver the corner and the field flips. And so I think, like, corners are trained to, you know, you wrap the guy around, you play defense. And as you know, the difference between a corner and a receiver is that a receiver has good hands. They're just as fast, just the similar shape, but the receiver has good hands. It's just that Michigan's a little lucky because we have our like six, four receivers and corners are like five, eight, five, 11, but the Levert Hill intercepts the ball. And then he like, so Cody White tries to wrap him up and Levert Hill flings him out, like flings his entire body out of the sideline. And Levert Hill is still in, he's still in bounds. He flings him up. And then instead of running it back for a touchdown, he steps out of bounds so he can flex on Cody White, um, which I don't know. I guess after I told you that, were you happy? Because Cody White was kind of, I don't know, he was pretty good against Indiana and annoying to me. Yeah, I remember he was pretty good against Indiana. He was pretty annoyed with Lewerke, um during that game. I mean, I, I guess I was happy for you all in that sense, but it also made me nervous about next week. So mixed feelings. And that's what engendered this whole trash talk mm -hmm. feed, right? Because then after that happened and I rewatched that, I was like, oh my God. And and this is the only week that I'll hate on Peter Ramsey. I mean, despite his performance against OSU. So we've talked about how he has a tendency to, instead of throwing bullets like Penix, he kind of floats and lofts his balls. And he also telegraphs his passes with his eyes. And so OSU was able to, as a, on an earlier episode, we said OSU was able to not only spot where he was passing, but also totally intercept the lofting, right? So I texted you after I saw Levert Hill and Avery Thomas, both of our corners, both got our, an interception. And as a pair of corners in the entire NCAA, they have the best opponent passer rating against them 
So meaning they're the strong, like any pass attempts against these corners, either the left side or the right side, do not succeed. And so I was like, wow, after Levert Hell intercepted Brian Lurkey, I was like, and again, this is the only hate that I have for Ramsey because he's the mascot of the podcast. I was like, floaty lofty boy, he is going to get picked and destroyed. But then you had to come back. Oh, yeah. I called Shay Space Cadet. And he kind of like does kind of look like a space cadet when he's like in her interviews, right? Like post game yeah. interviews. He's kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of here. Like he has this kind of laid back, lackadaisical art attitude in the, you know, in his post game press conferences. Did you see that video, Jeff? It was on Twitter where I guess Shay got to keep the ball or something from the game and he gave it to Coach Harbaugh. Yeah, so it was pretty funny because like there were these memes, but we're like, so Coach Harbaugh shakes Coach D's hand. And then he's like clutching a football like he was a quarterback, like mm-hmm. just running. Like he has the ball tucked under his arm and he's like running. And it's because like Harbaugh told Shea, who had the best performance of any Michigan quarterback, better than Tom Brady. That's, yeah, I heard that. Against mm-hmm. Michigan State, who was the last person. And he has four touchdowns, through to 84 yards. And so Harbaugh wanted him to have the game ball. But Shay, so Harbaugh said, hey, at the end, don't throw up the ball. Like at the end, after the victory formation, tuck it and keep it. And Shay was like, I have different plans. And he tucked it and kept it and gave it to the coach. And then coach, there's that funny meme of him running to the locker room to stuff it back into Shay's bag. Um, but so, uh, so the interesting thing is I think your offense was so good at crossing routes against us, right? That game, the, the celebration game. Oh where, yeah. Last where you guys year. Up at the- where we watched them at the bar. You guys were so good. Uh, I don't know about the deep passes, right, where we talked about our corners being the most vicious corners in the entire league. We have the best corners in the entire league, and I think number two is, like, Ohio State. Or I think Ohio State has one better corner and one, like, weaker one, and so people try to pass against the weaker one, but for us, it's both are as strong. Um, so maybe the trick is to – and you were joking. You were like, oh, I got to text – DeBoer, but you actually <laughs> said did, DeBoer. I did, I <laughs> did. But it's actually not wrong because the board had that masterful That's game true. plan that revealed, that revealed problems in our defense at the crossing routes. And then Ohio State ran that game plan with five-star receivers and 4-4 running times and totally destroyed us. Like they turned crossing routes into like go routes, right? Every crossing route where you, you have – Essentially, one receiver run left, one receiver run right, and they cross over in the middle. Um, but instead of those are meant to be short, right? Because they're crossing. But the four-four Paris Campbell has a he would cross, get the ball, and then run all the way down for a touchdown. And you guys don't really have those athletes. I guess you wouldn't run because I think like a crossing route receiver is what we call like a slot receiver because he's in the slot, and Watt is like a downfield receiver, right? He's not like running. The, he's not like a zippy guy that catches the ball in the crossing route and runs it all the way. He's a guy that's tall, tall, catchy guy that's at the end. Um, so I don't know how much WAP action WAP's going to get, but maybe maybe you're you can run that same you know offensive scheme play that so gave us trouble last year. Yeah, and I, sorry, I, I was a little distracted because you mentioned WAP, and I don't know if you knew this, Jeff, but WAP actually got hurt and couldn't play the rest of the game against Penn State. And I was quickly trying to look up whether we had an injury update, and I, I'm not seeing anything. 
So fingers crossed that, he can play against you guys, but we'll see. Yeah, that chemistry between him and and uh, him and uh, Penix was That's just true. unbelievable. Like Nick Sierra, both of them are back, right? Uh, Ramsey should be back, and oh no, Penix, oh, Penix, Penix is, is yes, back. He's Penix a will be back. I mean, what what? Watt and yeah, Penix. they will both be back. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So I think you know. I think we'll see. I think the the defense, if it's a classic Tom, the best case scenario for IU is if you have a if you have a classic Tom Allen defense, the crossing route offense of last year, and just that crazy mojo that. You know, whenever you guys play us, the games are stupid. I think that might be the best case scenario yeah, for you. No, I would agree. What are the lines? So the line is at seven points, which is interesting because that's usually um, the amount that you will beat us by. Um, Jeff, what did you have it at? Mine was, uh, well, it was interesting because at the beginning of the season, we had something crazy. Like, I think mine was like 21. Such and yours was 17. Yeah. And this is before, before, well, no, I mean, this is before we knew that any, we, we were going with the typical yeah, five and no, seven. That's in true. Indiana. I'm just joking. And then, and then the line yeah. kept shrinking, right? Like we kept shrinking. And then I think this week after watching how, because like we were saying the transitive property of football, you guys lost to, set by, to Penn State by seven. And we lost to Penn State by seven, even though directionally those games are a little different because everyone's like talking about our second half against Penn State as the last stand, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like really, really changing the direction of our season. Whereas yours was probably the crazy um, like punt play that you're gonna have to tell us about. Um, but so, but so by the transitive property of football, we both lost to Penn State by the same amount. So it's gonna be a tight game, right? Um, so, I mean, also, however, that transitive property of football kind of breaks down if you consider we beat MC right. by 34 and you guys lost, meaning we beat you guys by like an infinity, which I don't think is going to happen. I think my line was five and a half and yours was three, um, yep. yours was three points, which really it, it was, but it was Michigan by three, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so because it's home court, that's really like a six point. Yeah, you, you think of it as like like a one touchdown yep. gap because um, home teams get three points. I had I miss I mischaracterized it last time you told me it was three points because because it isn't at the big house it's at at at, uh, at the rock. Um, so why don't you? Given that that's what we're talking about, why don't you tell us a little bit about the game against Penn State? I, I only watched it a little bit. I was I was at the big house, so so I only like was able to look up the score. Sure. So going into some history, Indiana-Penn State, they had their first game against each other in 1993 in Pennsylvania, and Penn State won by seven points. And so that was the closest Indiana ever came to defeating Penn State on their home Was this when when Penn State joined the conference? This is like the year that Penn State joined. In 1993? Okay, okay. And we had never... Yeah, I'll look it up while you talk. And we had never one in Happy Valley. And, you know, our first, um, the first drive, really, Penn State had the ball because um, Indiana deferred. 
and we opened up with a three and out. So we were forced Penn State to punt, and I was so excited. I mean, I was already standing by the TV, um, screaming, just super excited. And of course, when we Penn State punts the ball, um, the first return was a turnover. Um, and what happened, and this was kind of one of the first frustrating moments of the game, which I think was half the refs just being ridiculous and half kind of um, a bad play on our end. And so what I mean by that. Um, by the way, Penn State joined okay. in 1990. Okay, so three years after. So what what happened yeah. was um, WAP didn't make it super clear, but but walked away. And so he did not touch the ball, in my opinion, but the ref said that he had and that he had a turnover because the ball kind of bounced and ended up in the arms of someone from Penn State. And so, you know, I watched the replays. To me, it was very clear that WAP had never touched the ball and he walked away from it. But in my opinion, he really should have gotten as far away from it as humanly possible and made it so obvious and indisputable. Um, so that was kind of the first frustrating thing from the refs and also the first kind of bad play by the Hoosiers. But luckily, Ramsey came out. And so Penn State scored on that drive after our quote unquote turnover, which was not really a turnover. Um, but then Ramsey came out and he scored a touchdown. So um, the first two drives were touchdown drives by Ramsey. Um, he did really great. I think one thing I said to you, Jeff, is that his lack of arm strength is a little bit apparent because he was almost intercepted a couple times due to floating the ball, but he was still able to pull the pull that off. So I was really happy for him. Yeah, it's gonna be rough. Like your your downfield passing game is gonna be rough. Like I I, I just I don't think there will be much of it in Michigan. Yeah, I I can't deny what you're saying. So, um, but hopefully those cross yeah, No, I agree. And Ramsey, I think like under DeBoer's watch, they wouldn't let him throw any passes longer than twenty yards, right? Like they just wanted the dink and done, dink and back. And the crossing routes work really good against us. But this year. Uh, Don Brown, evil genius, has come up with a way to a way to defeat crossing routes, and I mean, wow! Like that added wrinkle on his man-to-man. Because the problem, the problem with the Don Brown defense, and you understand this, like the left receiver runs towards the right, and then the right receiver runs to the left, and then at the point where those two crossing receivers meet, if you play man-to-man. And you have like one guy, you know, running alongside the receiver, the left guy, and one guy running alongside the right guy. Those two people mm-hmm. are going to bump at each other. Yeah. And then you gain an extra man because instead of one receiver blocking, you have the two defenders block each other. And so the crossing routes would always do that against a man to man. It's like a, it's what we call like a man meter. It beats a man to man because it's like a sending a pick in basketball where one man, the man defending the left, runs at the man defending the right. Now, Don Brown has a new wrinkle to his defense this year, um, which just looks so pretty. I'll show you the next time we hang out. But um, he, like, just drops someone to, um, you know, blow up both receivers. It's, it's kind of crazy. So I don't know. That's something that we should work, look out for. The downfield game and then the cross crossing, just because I've watched the mm-hmm. Michigan defense a lot more um, than you have. Um, but he has that new... 
what we call a zone wrinkle. So he's a zone. He just has a guy in the area of the crossing routes where they mesh. And that guy's job is to blow up the crossing route. And it looks good. Okay. Good. And are those only uh, when he kind of switches to that zone or the zone wrinkle, is that only when he thinks there will be a crossing route or are you all kind of doing that for every pass play? Um, yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, as you know, like any more than this is sort of beyond my ability, but I think there are like tendencies, right? So if it's like a third and eight, then, you know, it's going to be a mm-hmm. downfield pass. So instead of, and I think what, in that situation, the reason why Don Brown is so terrifying is he doesn't play like cover two. He plays cover zero and he rushes everyone at the quarterback. So that the, his idea is that if you get someone quick enough to the quarterback, the quarterback won't have time to cock up and gear up for the long pass. So instead of having someone like hang out around the back trying to defend the receiver, you just send more people up to their to give the quarterback no time. And I think the big problem against Ohio State, the 62-39 game, is we were we we talked about how how Dwayne Haskins jersey yep. was like spotless because we didn't get to the quarterback. And so then they had all day to pass those long pass plays and destroyed us. So so there are tendencies like Don Brown's famous for being hyper aggressive, but so if it's a third and eight, but I think the dink and dunk, dink and dunk is something like it's two and seven. So do we run? Do we do a crossing route? It's something like that. So so there are tendencies, but you know, I think DeBoer is a really fine offensive coach. Like one really interesting thing that I read today on that side of the ball is Michigan players actually think that Indiana does something very similar to Michigan, which I learned also today, where they said, you know, their offense is so fine and they have such good schemes and such good plays and essentially it's <laughs> mistakes, I guess. You know, like they do something very similar to us, which uh which I learned today, um, which is pretty awesome. That I think I mean I, I think Honestly, DeBoer is like the star offensive coordinator, one of the star offensive coordinators of the yeah. season, right? Like, yeah. So, okay. Five. So you don't think I need to text DeBoer and warn him about Don Brown's zone wrinkle? He probably already knows. <laughs> yeah, he knows. He knows about that. He knows about the aggressive blitzing. I think one interesting thing is, of the blitzing part, one interesting thing is Don Brown has been, like, you know how, like, we count the men, mm-hmm. right? And we slow down, we count, and you send four because there are five people protecting the quarterback. So you send four through the gaps and see what happens. Right. But I think Don Brown's interesting new blitzes is he like has guys. And this is similar in sort of uh, in by theme to the holding the pen last. So Don Brown has these linebackers that are like, they're not as big, but they're much faster than like other linebackers. So he has these linebackers make a last second call as to not whether to rush the quarterback or drop back. And it's all about like their brains and they're they're spotting the play and they're making a specific decision. And against like you saw this against uh, Iowa where we sacked the quarterback eight times. Like a lot of this was where we weren't sending four people. We were fake sending four people, but they were actually like three people from all over the field. And so they didn't know where the blitz was coming from. And it had the same effect as sending four people, even though we only sent three people and it's still safe because we drop people back to guard the pass. So it's almost like 
we're playing 13 men, you know, because it looks like it's a blitz with four, but it's three from weird spots that get through to the quarterback. Um, so that's the new blitz wrinkle. It's not just sending four people every play. Um, so, so I think, again, we'll see what DeBoer does with it. Cool. So tell me about the all, the litany of bad plays. Like, I, I don't know how much you already talked about this, but like I mm-hmm. was reading on Twitter and I was like, some people were like, Hoosiers just gave the game away in terms of coaching. Because if they hadn't had those bad plays, then they wouldn't be down by seven. Yeah, I would say the first half of the game was really on the refs. I I, I don't want to be like a, a poor loser, but it was really biased calling. And I tweeted a joke that, you know, hey, refs, like Penn State's not going to make the playoffs anyway. So let's, you know, ref this game fairly. But the second. We, we actually texted we each other that same, same time. joke. Yep, same yeah, time. can't hang out it's with you anymore. But um, the second half of the game. I think a lot of it is that we test each other's thinking yeah. via the podcast or or just texting or running sort of week-long yeah, conversation. No, I think that's football. true. The second half of the game was really on us. Um, so, I mean, I think most people heard about this or saw it, but we have to mention it. It was just the, um, the fake punt um, when we were at fourth and one. And so Indiana burned a timeout and, and takes a timeout. And then, you know, everyone already kind of knows this is something that might be faked. And, you know, and sure enough, um, not only was it a fake punt, but it was a miscommunication error. So they weren't even prepared to receive the snap. Um, and so it it just made no sense. Like no one knew what they were doing. Um, Peyton Hendershot was there and the ball was snapped to him. And he just looked like, what is going on? Um, so not only did we burn a timeout, but we lost the ball, um, you know, at a, at a key place, you know, gave the gave Penn State good field position. So um, clearly the biggest mistake of the game. Um, and I would say, you know, our clock management overall wasn't great. I mean, Tom Allen burned timeouts pretty quickly. And so we just really ran out of time during the second half. Um, Donovan Hale, who we really like, and mm-hmm. just just to pause you on that point, do you think he was coaching tight? Like like he really wanted it, so he kind of coached tight. You know, because one really interesting thing that Coach Ellen said was this year, and I'm beginning to doubt how true that is, and I'll tell you why. But one of the themes of the season is last season those crazy swings and win probability, like you know, you're out of it and then you're right back into it and then you're, you lose again. And I think coach Allen said this year, the reason why you've won all the close games was that with that training, with that winning mentality, with that, it's easier said than done to say, act like you've been there before, but they have now. So that's why they win that key third down to ace the game. They win that, you know, to make it a seven point win, even though, last year they wouldn't have. And I think that's because Tom Allen's, you know, making the right decisions, trusting his players, setting them up to succeed, all of that. But I think, I don't know how true that is considering how bad the teams you play were. So maybe it's just that it's not that you guys were clutch to make the third down. It's just that the other team's pretty bad and they couldn't make mm-hmm. the third down stop. Um, so, so I am not as enthused about Coach Allen seeing that you guys have gotten over the hump 
um, just because of the caliber of team that you've playing been playing overlaid. Um, but but do you think just curious about the clock management? Do you think because this was a good team that and Tom Allen really wanted it that there was something sort of measurable, like something that's demonstrably different about how he called the game in terms of timeouts or things that are within his control. Do you think he acted different think, in light of that? No, I think and, that's and okay. fair. I mean, I, I could kind of tell because Indiana was so close with Penn State the whole time. He was trying to keep it that way or give us the lead even. And so any moment that there was even an opportunity to make an adjustment, he called the timeout. And and that's fine, but you only get a few every half. And, and so it's hard because I understand if we're that close, we want to keep us there or even give us a lead. But we just really ran out of time at the end. And so what would you have done different? Like, would you have just let them play or because there's something that you would have like wanted him to do different? I think I would have saved at least one timeout. For the very end, I mean, you, you you could see during the second half of the game, James Franklin, he they had footage of him just standing and watching the clock. He was just trying to burn as much time as possible. Oh, yeah. And he's um, super succeeded, right? He had that, that, that amazing nine minute, I guess not that amazing for you, yeah. but an amazing nine and a half minute drive that took out the entire fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. And, and because of that, I think one timeout could have made a big difference. And it's hard because like when you use those timeouts, I think I would have, it's it's really risky to go that deep into the fourth quarter under two minutes left without, you know, a, a timeout left. So to close out this game, how much, I always don't love that, you know, you're since you're the spirit animal, the whole lovable loser thing, how much does it or does it not make you feel better when people say oh you guys performed admirably or like you know way to take them to the brink or you know Penn State survived in Indiana like how much of that sort of moral victory type rhetoric um how much does that do for you or not do for you I like I was trying to I was trying to text you some of that stuff too like don't feel so bad you guys are almost there this is great all that but how much does that actually do for you? Or are you like, I mean, for you guys, we still lost. I mean, I'm proud of the boys, right? Like I, I don't have a bad thing to say about our team aside from the mistakes, which we just mentioned. But I mean, we played you close the last several years. We actually, Penn State was close last year. Penn State was close this year. I mean, this has happened like 10 times just from what I've seen, like it is, that's why Jeff, I'm like, we need to win a signature game. Like that's kind of all I want at this point, because we've come so close so many times. And, and you know what, like you can argue that the last couple years, some of those games might've been flukes. Um, but this one definitely wasn't, we played well. And so I just, Oh, we're so close to such a good win that I want it so bad. But I don't want to take away from the team. I think they played well. I think we should use this momentum going into next week. And I don't have a bad thing to say about them. Okay. I think that's fair enough. So let's um, finish up with the MSU game. You have some like really pretty game recaps and we'll we'll get to them. But we're nearing the hour mark. Um, I mm-hmm. 
went to the game, the state championship, Michigan state championship, no offense to the directional schools and the other um, <laughs> fine programs in the state, like uh, the Emus, Eastern Michigan, doing really well. Uh, Central, actually, with Coach McCowan, who was our the Florida coach and our receiver coach, also doing really well. So no offense to those programs. They all have winning records. Um, <laughs> better, as Scott Bell would joke, better programs than MSU. But the state championship hit week in the state. Um, I went to the game with my boy, Daniel Linquist that I went to law school with. And um, I think I think the interesting thing about this game, I mean, it was a blowout and there are a lot of thoughts about sort of whether it's better for a rival to be good or bad. But my view on this rivalry is Michigan State should just be a game. You win it, get out of there, do business. It shouldn't be like a sandwich of the letdown look, look ahead where we spend any emotional energy. And it looks like mm-hmm. with the direction of that program that this is how it's going to be with all the thuggery and riffraff and all the sort of problems disciplinary and a lot of those showed in the field right a lot of personal fouls a lot of um just poorly coached poorly run program and it's catching up to them a lot um but so interestingly enough they scored first and they had some really good sort of tendency scheme breakers uh that that you know basically Don Brown's defense is one of the most watched in the country. And teams will, because it's so aggressive, they don't play for safe. They go for home runs. And so if you overshack one side of the field, people who switch back to the other side of the field will find a lot of room. And that's just how a lot of teams do that. And that's what Michigan State came up with. And they scored seven points real quick. Um, But after that, I think a lot of Michigan Twitter started complaining. Oh, like everyone's kind of girding their loins for like another slog against Michigan State. And it sort of was like that for a little bit. Um, it was 17 uh, 7 at the half. And then after the half, it just took off. Like I think we mm-hmm. blocked a punt, you know, DPJ to DPJ things, including the Paul Bunyan. And we outscored them 44 to 3. Uh, well, actually, we outscored them, yeah, 44-3 after that first touchdown that Michigan State scored on us. Um, so so just, you know, it just really, really clicked. Uh, we already talked about sort of testing vertical, testing horizontal, the crazy Levert Hall interception. Um, I think Gaddis, you're right, like Gaddis really did call like a really nice game where – everyone was praising him like for basically all of Michigan state's tendencies, their defense, they're really good at protecting the run. I think Daniel and I actually had a bet where we said whether there would be more rushing yards than passing yards in the game. And so I took passing yards because as at that time, I wasn't that confident. I think when we made the bet, we honestly felt that it was a 50, 50 bet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, if Shea throws to Nico three times, I might win. And that's also Brian's preview, right? Like throw Nico three times. And I think Brian's preview on Emigo Blog was those three times will be the three winning scores in the game. Okay. Like the scores, the three passes to Nico are the three scores. And that's because um, of of just, you know, Harbaugh's tendency to run. And part of my head thought, though, if Michigan State can only defend the run, why won't we pass? 
And in my head, I was like, maybe, maybe. And then also because, you know, Coach D used to have a pact against the weather last year, but he no longer has that pact. He's used up all his luck. But there was a clear day, clear cold day in order, like 28 degrees of the game. And I mean, Faye set a passing record for himself, best game. No one expected that. Like I won that bet against Daniel handily, right? Way more passing yards than rushing yards, uh, which was surprising to us. But really speed and space, like those guest plays, like holding the pan, he really basically whatever defensive look that Michigan State showed. And if you watch the game and the, you know, Michigan Twitter sketching the game, basically every defensive play um, Michigan saw, they found this part of the field that Michigan State had to sacrifice to play that and threw the ball into that space. So literally the spaces in Michigan State's defense, we sent the speed into those spaces. And that's why we won by so much. Um, so that's the summary of the game. Uh, Gaddis did an amazing job. Don Brown's being Don Brown. Corner's great. Um, so, so yeah. So I, I don't know what that says about your game. I, I think your game always will be stupid uh, and close. And I'm really rooting for you guys um, to have a good showing. I mean, I think honestly, if you ask me, like the big question for me, I, I already laid laid out the best case scenario um, for Indiana, but I think one more. On the Michigan side, for you guys, is the best case scenario is this speed and space offense isn't portable, right? Like Shea Patterson is undefeated at the big house, which means every loss he's had is on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he doesn't bring it to the road and it's just not as sharp. Those, you know, wrinkles and holding the pen last doesn't in fact happen. And you guys win. I think that's the best case scenario. I mean, I walked into last year's game being like, we're going to win by a lot. And then... I was subjected to Coach Allen celebrating in half, and you were yeah. really gracious. You didn't make that much fun of me. But I feel like this year, you've become a much more vociferous fan, so you would make fun of me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Can I ask you a question? What yeah. what switched? Because everyone talks about since the second half of Penn State, this has been a different team. So what, did it just start to click? Like, what do you think happened? You know – the funny thing about that is if anyone knew the answer, that person would be like CFB coach of the year, right? <laughs> okay. If you knew the answer and how, and not only the answer, like not only from like a retrospective sense where it's like, oh, we saw that this clicked, right? Because all of us are seeing this and we're like, the solid verbal guys, us, everybody in the country, mm-hmm. Michigan's tough. Michigan's like since the second half, since the second half. We see the effects, right? But if you could explain why, number one, and if number two, you could bottle that up and replicate it yeah. elsewhere, different program, you know, take that with you on the, take that show on the road, you would be, you know, a $9 million coach, right? In the NFL or NCAA. That's the funny thing about college football and why it has endless mysteries to all of us, right? Like if, if, if Harbaugh knew that, don't you think he would bottle that stuff up and feed it to his players before the Wisconsin game. Yeah. No, you're right. So that's the magic, right? That's the magic and it's clicking. So we'll see, we'll see whether it clicks or whether, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what I've seen from Womack, I, I, uh, I hope, you know, coach Allen staying up all night this week. <laughs> I hope so too, actually. 
So that's the hour mark. Any last word, predictions, uh, friendly uh, sharing about the game uh, before we go? We're uh, going to go on the road. We're going to the game. Uh, I'm really excited to, to physically be there at the game with you. Um, one quick thing I do want to say about Purdue. They had a bye week and they faced Wisconsin. They currently have four wins. Um, I'm hoping they actually lose because I don't want them to come out hungry for a six win against us. We did talk about that. Like coming in five and six. Yeah. Versus coming in four and seven. Right. Totally different vibe. Yes. Yeah. That's one thing I wanted to throw out. Because if you're four and seven, you're just playing spoiler to your rival. Yep. Right. But if you're five and six, you have skin. Yeah. Like you're playing for the bucket and the bowl, which is what happened last year. That's right. What last year last was year. the. Yeah, people called it the the toilet bowl bucket, terrible names like that, because it was like you guys are playing for the right, playing for the bucket and the right to play in a 6-6 bowl game. Yeah. So we were talking about how that's an important rivalry game and in Michigan, Ohio State for the playoffs, also equally as important. And of course, we did even more poorly than you guys did in the bucket game. Yeah. But do you like Aiden O'Connell? Have you seen much of him? I have not seen much of him, but I've heard really good things. And we actually don't know for sure if it'll be Aiden O'Connell against us here in a couple of weeks. I mean, Siddler could be back by then. Have you gone to your uh, bucket luncheon yet? No, it's tomorrow. Oh my God. So you gotta, you gotta, we, we joked about how the theme for this week is to um, seek forgiveness yes. instead of permission. So you're just going to steal the bucket and keep it? Yeah, don't get that away, Jeff. But yes, I'm going to steal the bucket and keep it. Oh, but they sell these replicas. And we were talking about how like you need to take photos of the I's and the P's um, so that we can make our own and attach more eyes to the bucket. Because mm-hmm. right now, I think the replica has... You're like, why are there all those P's? Because the, right now, the replica that's for sale on the Purdue website is five P's and three I's um, to reflect that Purdue has an overall victory. But the idea is that every year since they, what was the year of the bucket in 1925? Yes. Yeah, that's right. The year that the big green won the national title, <laughs> um, the Dartmouth Maldives. Um, but, but so every year since then, that first year was a tie. So there's an INP fused on top of the bucket. Um, and it's actually the Chicago student group that got the bucket, which is pretty cool. But so then every year, whoever wins, ties a P or an I to the bucket. So you will, you'll have to take a photo of that long chain of I's and P's. Yeah, no, I'll definitely do that. I'm super excited. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, good luck to uh, Coach Allen, who's dreaming up his defense. And DeBoer is, you know, better, higher than anyone expected. And I think he'll do great things for sure. He's like just super complimentary. I think our team has been super complimentary of yours and it deserves the compliments, honestly. Yeah. I'm really happy with that hire. As much as we love our Prince, I think DeBoer was the right move. I wonder what DeBoer's doing. Maybe you can get him to guest host. That'd be awesome. <laughs> okay. Anything else? Uh, no, that's all for me. All right. Hoo hoo. Hail. <laughs>